The Lord be with you. And I want to share with you a scripture. It's from Isaiah and chapter 61. And this, or at least part of this passage, is quoted in the New Testament. Jesus uh, read this in the synagogue in Nazareth in Luke in chapter 4 and claimed it as his own. That, that is very important. What we're reading in Isaiah 61 is a prophecy. In fact, it was written probably <clears throat> some 700, 600 years before Jesus came. But then when Jesus came, he read these words and said, This day, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. So hold that in mind. Okay, it begins. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And then especially, let me jump down here to verse 3, to grant those who mourn in Zion giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. Okay, and it's that last phrase that I want to look at, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. The I say again because it's so very important that Jesus took this which is prophecy in Isaiah, and he declared that this was speaking of him. So what Isaiah was saying was speaking directly of Jesus, and he said that the Holy Spirit was upon him, and this was the agenda, this was the purpose for which the Father has sent him. There is so much talk about the will of God. People are paranoid about the will of God. They've always got to find the will of God, as if it is something so mysterious and so hidden, and yet the Scripture makes it abundantly clear that Jesus, Jesus is the will of God. That is, in the first place, Jesus is God, He is God from God, and therefore he is in his very person, the will and the purpose and the plan of God, but very specifically within God. It it tells us that God the Father sent Jesus, sent God the Son, in order to take to himself our humanity and achieve salvation and this this description in Isaiah 61 is, in fact, you could make that uh, a description of salvation, because salvation is 10 trillion times more than, than just being saved from sin and go to heaven when you die. It, it covers every effect and effect of the darkness and of the lie of Satan as it has intruded and trashed and torn and blitzed you and I. And so Jesus is saying that this that we just read is is the will of the Father. This is what God wants to do. This is his purpose in Jesus' coming. 
and we should take this very, very definitely. This is God's will and word to you and I to be fulfilled in you and I. And we could look at all of these phrases, but that last section, verse 3, notice it, it is speaking in terms of joy. It's speaking in terms of this salvation rescue operation from all the darkness that brings its sadness and misery with it. So it says to grant those who mourn. So he's talking of mourners in Zion. The uh, mourners are associated with death. And, and so there's the, the mourners, those, those associated with death, and giving them a garland instead of ashes. At funerals in ancient days, they put ashes in their hair. But he says, instead of ashes, that is, get rid of all the trappings of funeral and death. Instead, give a garland. And a garland was that which was used in sort of a medal in the games. And it was flowers and leaves woven around your head. And so take the ashes out of your hair and put the flowers in its place. Put the leaves in its place and let there be celebration. You see what he's saying here? The oil of gladness. And that was another thing. They put oil upon their bodies, uh, sweet-smelling oil that, that produced that whole sense of joy. And he says, that is instead of the morning. No ashes in your hair. Instead, now you're covering yourself in sweet-smelling oil. And then at the, the end of that section, he, he says, the mantle of praise instead of the spirit of fainting spirit of fainting. This word um, translated in this edition of the Bible, fainting, it's a word used in other places in the scripture, and it has many expressions that that say, we, we take many more words than one to be able to say what this verse, this word is saying. It means burdened. That would be another way of putting it, um, burdened, um, it, it means you're burdened down with um, what, whatever it is that is harassing you, and, and whatever it is, is gaining the upper hand, and it's exhausting you, or as it says here, fainting, it's causing you to faint, you feel that whatever's happening to you is draining the very life out of you, and there's not only at a physical level, for this word also is translated elsewhere as disheartened, it means despair, it means when you feel hope is draining out of you, and so you are weary. Another modern way we might put it is you're burned out. It's as if you look within you and there's nothing left inside to live from. And so, again, we come back to it. You're faint. You, you, you've run out of life. You, you, you can't put another step in front of the other. That, that produces a certain fearfulness, and that too is part of this definition of the word. It, it, it's, it means you are, you're failing. The, one of the older words used to describe it is heaviness. 
And, and maybe that's a good word, that, that you have this heaviness upon you, the heaviness of whatever it is that is draining the strength out of you. Another way of looking at it is actually, this, this phrase is actually used in the scripture to translate this word. It, it means a dim, <clears throat> flickering wick. You know, in those ancient days, they <clears throat> lit their houses by oil lamps. And, and as the oil would go down, then the wick w- would begin to flicker. And, and if you don't do something to change the, the oil, and indeed at this point the wick, you are going to have an awful smell in the house. And it's this word that was used to describe that, the, the, the flickering wick. It's about to go out. It's run out of oil. You get the picture. And so it's, it's a word that is also used to describe being nearly blind or in the dark. You, you don't know where you're going. You, as I said, you hardly know how to put one step in front of the other. And so it's also, and this is it, <coughs> it's used for an ineffective life, a life that just isn't functioning. It's a, it's a life that tends to be futile. It's, you're going nowhere. And it's just this heaviness that is upon Okay, put that word, with all those expressions of it, put that word on hold for a moment. It says, and it's very interesting that it says this, it's it's sort of unlike the other expressions in the chapter. It says the spirit of fainting or the spirit of heaviness. Spirit. That's a Hebrew word that comes up very often and it means wind, and so the, the, the feel of wind upon your cheek, that's the word they would use, spirit. It was, the, the same word was used to describe breath, as you breathe, that's this word, but also it means spirit um, in, in the sense of something you cannot see, but it is very real, It describes, I suppose, you could say that blowing through this person it's talking about, blowing through their lives like a a wind, um, breathing upon them, is this foul, foul. It's, It's the spirit, it's the wind, it's the very breath. It's that spirit of heaviness. It's the it's a it's invisible all right but boy does it have visible tangible felt effects and and out of this you you feel drained as this this breathes into you 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 feel that the it comes in and your life goes out i say it again it's like a foul wind have you ever smelled a wind that blows a Cross a corrupt and rotten swamp, and you can smell the rottenness, and you smell the bubbles of corrupt gas that come out of it. Yeah, that that's this word. It's it's a wind that brings it. Um, I lived in Ireland uh, for for some years, 
and with, in Ireland there are many swamps and but the the locals you knew a path through the swamp and uh, it's one of those things where a local will seemingly disappear into the swamp and, and so help a, a stranger that tries to follow um, but as you went through the swamp I mean, you're right in the middle of it now. And, and what happens, the, the gas uh, of the swamp, it, it comes up. And, and as it bursts out, and it, it sends, it, there's a sort of a current going up. And, and, and there's a lot of fog in Ireland. And in that fog, mist, and the gas rising through it, the, the mist seems to move in phantom shapes. Uh, and uh, it's called the will-o'-the-wisp. And there's, it can be eerie. It can have a certain fear for those who do not know what's going on. And of course, the smell of the swamp. This is something, that's sort of a modern picture of it. But, but this foul spirit, this corrupt spirit, this spirit that brings with it fear and failing. It's, it's a dark spirit. Such a person as this, a person who lives in the spirit of this draining, fainting heaviness, it's it's a life that is disconnected from the source. We, we were never intended, never in our creation were we intended to draw life from within ourselves. Uh, we, we, we were intended, we were wired in our creation to draw our life from our creator. We, we were created to find our source in God the Son through the Holy Spirit. Therein is the meaning of life. Therein is the purpose of life. And if we are not if, if we are seeking this independent source within ourselves, sooner or later, we're going to find a description, something like this, for our life. You see, we're going to experience at some level to do either with mind or emotions or, or even to do with our bodies. We'll find the burnout. We'll find this draining, this this fainting in life, this feeling we can't put a step in front of the other. We feel our life has become a flickering, burned out um, uh, wick. It's, it's nothing left to, to live for, you know, all of that. This disheartenedness, this despair. It, it's, it's the symptoms of a life, I say, that is disconnected, at least in that moment, from the source. You could say there's a secular despair that um, I go into the world in all its various expressions where there would be no thought of God or connection to him through Jesus. And as I do so, you, you, you find there is a despair in the world, a burned out. There is disheartening that is almost taken for granted as, as part of being alive. It is so widespread among us. I then go among religious persons and there is, and probably 
the audience that I speak to would have a lot more uh, understanding of a religious fainting, a religious heaviness, that, that as one struggles and tries to do in order to please God, and, and as my list of um, rules on the one hand, my, my list of de- determination to keep those rules all for God, for God. And, and when I don't, there, there comes the guilt and the shame and the draining. And, and, and my, my life that I had hoped would be a life of joy and peace has become darkness, ineffective, burned out. And Jesus spoke specifically to religious people in Matthew 11, where he says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden. And he was speaking specifically to the religious person. You get what this is talking about. But now he says that Jesus... He is saying the intention of God that would be revealed in Jesus when he came was that he would give to us a mantle or a garment of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. So there's an exchange going to happen. This person we've just discussed is going to be rid of the spirit of fainting. It's going to be gone and it will be exchanged for a garment of praise. Now, once we come to this word, garment, or clothing, or mantle, whatever way you want to describe it, get the picture what it is, the idea lying behind clothing and garments in the scripture is... Well, I I would say it's very, very foundational and basic. The Hebrew people put great stock in what they wore. But it wasn't a matter of fashion. It isn't that they changed clothes every six weeks because of change of fashion. Rather, the clothing that they wore, they understood it to be an adequate expression of who they were in their essential person. So you changed clothes according to what was happening in your life, so that your clothes would become actually an expression, a hardwired expression of your inner person. That may be very difficult for us to understand, although we, we do have it still. I mean, there are still some people who dress up for dinner. There are some people still who dress up to go to church. Uh, they've got their best clothes. Um, we, we still have that idea. It was much more to the forefront when I come into the scripture. So you you will find it. Maybe you found it and not really known where to put it. it we, we, we've already referenced it in part, but you will read in the scripture of sackcloth and ashes. Do, do, have you come across that expression, sackcloth and ashes? Well, um, at a time of great grief, 
or when you would humble yourself and be, be stripped of all that would give you joy, and you, you wish to walk in grief. It was at funerals especially, but there were other times when a person would face a sort of living death experience, and they would put on sackcloth, that is, their, their clothes, their, the robe that they wore would be made of ugly sackcloth. And it rubbed against your skin. And then they would put the ashes in their head that we've referenced already. And when you saw a person who was dressed in sackcloth and had ashes in their hair, you knew that they were in a state of great grief. And they are now, they're going to a funeral, they're coming home from a funeral. Or, or they are going through some experience in life that is, is as good as dead. And, and so they, they dress appropriately. Their dress becomes, I say again, uh, uh, it's, it's joined into their emotions. It's joined into their very person. And so you look at the person, you can tell where they're at in, in, inside. And then you'll have another expression which crops up enough times that you've probably read it at some time. It says, he rent his garments. You ever read that? He rent his garments. The rending of the... They would take their cloak way up at the top and then rip it. And they would tear their garments. And that was when a person was in a state of intense feeling. That's in fact that's about as intense as you can get in in the Hebrew measuring of feeling, and so again it could be grief if and especially when it it's brought to you suddenly. You, you someone comes and they bring you the news that you were not expecting, but it is the news that brings you extreme grief. And the only response that you can have as a Hebrew to that terrible news, whatever it is, is to rend your garments. It is a picture I am ripped in my heart. It's intensity of grief. But also, it could be used as an intensity of rage. You remember when uh, the high priest asked of Jesus whether he were the Messiah and Jesus uh, said, in fact, he was. And the response of the high priest was to rend his garments. A, a, a picture of the rage of religion as it faced the confession of Jesus. So you see how this it's all put together. Well, festive clothes, and they really were festive. They would be clothes that, that were... Beautiful colors, bright colors, colors that just looking at them suggested a party. It was colors of the sunlight, colors of joy, festive clothing. And everybody had that in their closet of festive clothes. And it told the whole world, I am now in a state of praise and joy and celebration. I suppose you could say that the Hebrew people wore, they wore as clothing their hearts. 
they, they, it wasn't merely a matter of wearing their heart on their sleeve. They, 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 everything they wore suggested the condition of their heart. Now do you see what it's saying? That this spirit of fainting, this spirit of heaviness, this foul wind that is clothing you within with darkness, that's draining the life out of you, as an exchange, and you are given a garment of praise. So you are clothed in praise. But now it's a very important word. In, in this book of Psalms, where you have every word in the Bible that's used to describe praise, and there's plenty of them, but all those different words, many times they're just translated in our Bibles as praise or thanksgiving, but they have different ideas of praise, shall I put it, different expressions of praise. And this word is so important, this garment of praise, that word praise, it means, first of all, singing praise. This is never a word you would use to describe saying praise. It is always uh, is describing a song. It, it, it describes the melody and the harmony uh, of, of a song. And so, you see, there is no song to be found in a fainting spirit. You lost your song a long time ago. No, this, this, this new garment that is placed upon this person it is a garment that is, is, is its song in itself. You are clothed. You, you put on the coat of melody. You, you, you put on this glorious garment of harmony, song. But now, okay, so, so here we are. We, we are persons clothed in a song. But also, it's not only a song that is sung. It is one that is sung for a very specific reason. See, there are other words, other praise words that describe just singing praise to God. But this one is a specific song. It is a song that is sung to give honor to give glory. It is to sing of the praiseworthy actions of the person you're singing about. So it was specifically used to describe a song that was sung about heroes, a song that was sung to describe their heroic deeds. And so you would gather at a, some sort of public or tribal or clan gathering, and, and the person with the instrument would begin to play, I suppose we'd say a ballad today, in which they sung of the exploits, they, they sung of the worthiness of the person who was the honored guest. That's this song, a song sung in honor. It would be a song that you would sing to the person who received the gold medal at the games. 
You, you would sing of, of their exploits. And now you go back into the Psalms and see when this word is used, and it is used to describe songs to God. Psalms directed specifically at God in terms of the acts of his wonder. Describe him, honor him, brag on him concerning what he's done. And so you'll find psalms that honor God in terms of his creation and and honor God in terms of a God who has entered into covenant with us. Remember, he says, who is like unto you among the gods? You're you're a wonder. And he's he's praising, giving these songs of honor, describing his salvation, all that he shall accomplish. And this really is how persons in the Bible understood God. They, They didn't have what we would understand as a theological Bible course. They they didn't tabulate everything that God had, you know, his character and so on. Rather, they saw God revealed in all that he had done. And so look at creation and you will see the power of God. Look at creation, you will see the wisdom of God and the love of God and the grace of God that he ever created. You see what I mean? You want to know what salvation looks like? See, he delivered Israel out of Egypt from the oppression of the Pharaoh, led them through the Red Sea. You want to see how much God loves you and cares for you? Let us sing of him giving water in the wilderness and manna every day of their travels there. And it speaks of his actions of loving kindness, putting the covenant into practice. And so they, they sang of... They, they, yeah, they, they had their gatherings just to say how great God was and what God had done. Well, of course... Everything that God has done finally comes to focus in Jesus. He is the final and absolute revelation of the glory and the honor of God. When you look at the cross of Jesus, there you see what God is like. That's the extent of his love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So so I know how much God loved the world that he gave his very self son and offered him for us. I, I, I see the wonder of who God is in that he raised Jesus from the dead, the greatest act of power that had ever been on the planet. I, I, I know God's finale of purpose in that Jesus ascended into the other half of the universe, triumphant, all authority given to him. Read it in Revelation chapter 5, where they 
It pictures the whole of creation gathered around Jesus called the Lamb of God. And they sing the song. You see, sing the song, worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb. And give the whole list of his accomplishments, who he is. And when you hear these songs of praise and honor being sung to God and specifically sung to God in Jesus Christ, there, there's his will. This is what he's done. This is who he is. And it says to this person with a spirit of sucking, draining, this, this foul darkness, this person plunged in sadness and mourning, to this person they are given the clothing of the song of honor to God. Now, now where, where do we fit into this, practically speaking? Here, the whole song is, is to... God in his saving acts. This is a song to God revealed in Jesus. All we can do in the putting on of this new cloak of life, all we can do is join the song. Faith, you see, faith joins the song. What do I mean? I mean, what, what, is, what is this song that is being sung to Jesus as the great hero? The song is that he so loved us that he came when the Father sent him. The song is that he, Jesus, took all the suffering and the sorrow and the darkness to himself. The song is that he even took our death to himself. He took our great enemy, Satan, and he entered into death itself. And in death, he put away sin. In death, he wiped out all the power of abuse and suffering, and he put Satan under his feet in the resurrection. That's what we're singing about. And so faith says, I'll join with that and declare in that song. He did not merely do it out there somewhere. He did that for me. I sing it. My sin was dealt with forever because of what he did. I'll sing it. I have been raised into newness of life. I shall sing it. He has placed Satan under my feet. We are part of his song, and we sing it with him by faith that it is so. Don't you remember, as the shepherd came home with the sheep around his shoulder, he said, Rejoice with me. I have found my sheep which was lost. The shepherd is saying, let's, let's call the clan together, and let's sing praise. We found the sheep. Well, the sheep actually is part of the celebration. There would be no celebration but for the fact they'd found the sheep. And so it's in honor of the shepherd. But the sheep is the center of the party because the sheep has been found. I, I said 
This is the great exchange that we shock off the spirit of heaviness and we put on this mantle, this garment of honoring praise. That the exchange of garments was used in covenant. When two parties entered into covenant, often they would exchange clothes. That, that is, the person is saying, my very self expressed in my garments, I, I give it to you. And that means I give you all my resources. I give you all my status. I give you my very self. Remember that happened with David and Jonathan. Jonathan gave to David the royal robes of the prince. David was a shepherd that hardly had one set of clothes. But there was the exchange, and they were bound in covenant. That's it. God has come where we are. Are are you getting this? God has come where we are, and he took our, yes, he took our spirit of heaviness. He, he, He took that darkness, and he took that death to himself, and he gave us his clothes of praise and honor, and and we are left to sing praise that he rescued me. He saved me out of an horrible pit. He, He gave to us his triumph over the darkness. He joined us in his exaltation to the right hand of the Father. Or back to Matthew 11, Come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, said Jesus. I will give you rest. Come and enter into my rest. And so our heaviness, that whole unlife spirit, that 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 spirit that is like a black hole sucking the life out of us and us into darkness Jesus entered right into it and destroyed it swallowed it up and so we are now clothed in the actions of Jesus that are his honor his praise but we're clothed in We say Jesus died for sin. I'm clothed in that. He died for my sin. Jesus rose from the dead. I'm clothed in that. I I rose into newness of life and rebirth. I've been joined into the song of God. Can't sing of God's glory without including me in it. Because this is where his glory was made manifest. So Jesus wrapped himself in our heaviness. And now he wraps us in his song of life. This is portrayed to us very much so in in the story of the prodigal son. As I said, this idea of clothing is so, it's almost omnipresent in Scripture, and you you miss it unless you're looking for it. But really, the the story of the prodigal son hinges around this garment thing. Son comes home, and he comes home in rags. 
But the father takes off the rags and clothes him in his own best robe. You, you remember that? Well, this is what it's about, this very thing. The prodigal son comes home. And if ever there was a chap who was fainting and half burned to a crisp and is about to drop and keel over, he was, he was the one. He, he comes with the heaviness of the far country upon him. But also, having set himself an impossible goal, he says, I'll come home and I'll prove to my father I could work. Make me as one of your hired servants. And so he comes home with the task that he set himself to prove that he's a good person to his father. Instead, he's met with love to the nth degree and he's caught up in love's action and the song of joy, the rejoicing that goes with it, the father holds him and says, you are my son. Oh, set that to music. Set that to a heart and let the heart make a symphony of it. And then the father gives him his own. Notice that. It's an exchange. Wasn't they went down to the supermarket and bought one? No, the father gave to him this festive robe, or it's called in most translations the best robe. That's another way of saying festive robe. Well, where did he get that from? That was the father's robe. He puts it on. It's as if the father were saying to the son, you see yourself as lost, you see yourself as a failure, burned out, no good, unclean. But I, says the father, I see you, my son. I affirm you. I declare you to be my beloved son. Accepted, my son. Honored, my son. Celebrated. And in the festive robe, they go to the celebration. And they're singing and dancing. Yes, it all fits in with this word. It's singing of the love of the Father. But right in the middle of it is the living proof of that. And the one who is the receptor of that is the Son. Clothed in the garment of praise, literally. Notice, not clothed in the the gown of a PhD. Such a gown would proclaim that the person wearing this has earned the right to wear it. No, this, this is not a robe that says anything about you. It's not a robe that has notches on the side to describe your good works. Rather, it is a robe that gives praise and glory to God in Jesus, of which you are the recipient. You are wrapped in that song, but it's a song about him. But it's what he has done in you, what he is now to you. He is your clothing. Yeah, let me emphasize that because at this point we could go on for another hour, I suppose, um, because there's so much about this in the scripture. But let me say this quickly. Jesus is this garment of praise. Because it's not merely a detached song about what he did. 
Jesus is what he did. And the song is his song. And therefore, he is the clothing that we put on, this this clothing of song. And so in the New Testament, and this is, I'm zooming through this, but it says in Galatians, you have clothed yourself with Christ. What is that, chapter 4? And it, it links it to baptism. It says in baptism, you clothed yourself with Christ. Oh, do you get this? Do you know who you are? You, you, you are a human being, but you are clothed with the very light of God. The darkness can see that suit you wear. The darkness shies away in terror of you, this light-filled human, whose very, very clothes are a song of praise to God in Christ. You are clothed with Christ. And then in Ephesians 4, Colossians 3, it's, do you remember it says, put on, put off. Do you remember those passages? And it, it describes putting away from you, putting off all that foul stuff that belongs to the heaviness, which you put on gentleness and kindness and tenderness you put on the love of God and you forgive one another even as you've been forgiven you are clothed in love in all its various expressions well that love with which you are clothed is the presence of the Lord Jesus who fills every part of your being even may I say in Ephesians 6 where where it speaks of put on that old cloth word again put on the armor of God. Well, that armor of God is is not bits of steel you keep in your closet. The armor of God is Jesus. He is your breastplate of righteousness. That's Jesus. He is the belt of truth. He is the helmet of your salvation and so on. So I, I, I meet you. And see, you can be a believer and yet find yourself in this swamp where you are so aware of a spirit, a wind, a foul breath of darkness that seems to be dragging you down, exhausting you. Hey, I said a believer. Why, why so? Well, if we do not know who we are, That's the key. If we do not know who we are as joined to Christ and Christ living his life in us through the Holy Spirit, if we we are weak in that area, if we just go through the outwards of our salvation, then we pick up there's no other way I can put it. We, we pick up the spirit of heaviness from others. Others who, that's their life. And, but as we are with them, talking with them, working with them, there, there, there is such a suck. There's no other word for it. It's, it's, it's like the um, scientists of the universe would tell us these black holes that just that they are the 
absolute gravity which just suck everything into them until they're just a black hole of nothingness. And there are people very much like that, aren't there? You get around them and you feel the they're sucking the life out of you. That seems to be their... And they usually come, oh, they have such needs. And so many times a believer wants to help them, but they should beware. And especially sometimes there's not much in the believer, but they just feel simply and they find themselves being sucked in. You can end up in the spirit of heaviness. And at other times, the same, this weak believer who does not know who they are, do not know... Christ living his life in them. And, and, and what happens in, in the midst of circumstances? Circumstances that are dragging. Circumstances that seem never to end. Circumstances, yes, the, the circumstances suck you down. They drain you. And you feel burned out. And you find yourself in this swamp with the foul breath. At other times, none of the above. But suddenly you feel that, yes, literally this spirit, this words, thoughts running through your head, all that lead you so rapidly spiral down into this swamp of despair. I, I believe that that happens. Ephesians 6, again, it speaks of Satan shooting what he calls flaming arrows into us, into our mind, into our thought process. So we think this sudden influx of thoughts, we think they're our thoughts, but they're not. They are a flaming arrow come to set on fire our whole head. And they're lies, of course, lies. They give you a lying outlook on life. They tell lies about you to you, and you think it's you telling you. And, and they always seem so logical. They set us all on fire with despair. Well, if that's where I find you, then you should know at this point, throw it off. Be done with it, for Jesus Christ has come in order to give to you a mantle of praise instead of the spirit of heaviness. And however you got into the spirit of heaviness, get out of it now. And you say, I don't know how to do that. And you, you thought I was going to give you sympathy. No. How can I put this? There's no ladder to get out of this. There's no ten steps. You don't need ten. You'll be drowned at the ninth step. What you must realize is Jesus has already done this. Jesus is the clothing that he wills to clothe your mind, clothe your emotions, clothe your very being with. And so, would you understand me? I wish I had a better way. But we, is it? That is, don't, it's not do this and do this and do this and you'll get there. No, no, no. That's, that's old legalism. No, you is it. Jesus has accomplished this. This was written 700 years before Jesus came. Jesus came and said, I've come to do it. And when he rose from the dead, it was done. It was finished. And so, thank you. 
will be another way, but even that sometimes can almost be too long for what I'm saying. Faith says it is so. And, and that is faith, because at that moment, logic says you are plunged in darkness and despair and heaviness and you're drained out. And you say, in Christ Jesus, I receive this garment of praise that honors him as having finished this heaviness and brought it to nothing. And I choose to give him praise because what he's done is my very life at this time. And we put on this garment this garment that is a song of thanks to Jesus, a song of honoring him for having accomplished his end. It's, it's a garment that is the weave, the weave of the garment. It's woven in praise that every weave of the garment declares his actions of having defeated the darkness and defeated the despair and has brought us to sit with Christ in, with his Father in the heavenly places. We are wearing threads of light, all that reveal him. It's a garment of multicolored thanksgiving under every circumstance. Well, there it is. I, Especially those last few minutes, we could have gone much further, but because we couldn't go much further, I'd prefer just to leave it where it is. I believe the Holy Spirit would call all of us to recognize what, what the world and oftentimes the church recognizes as normal. This darkness, it's so all-pervading, it's understood to be normal. And um, no, it's not normal. It's most abnormal for a believer. And sometimes the church even applauds this heaviness as being a sign of piety and godliness. No, Jesus brought us joy. He gave us this garland instead of the ashes and the oil of joy, instead of mourning and this clothing of praise to replace the spirit of heaviness and fainting. Let's step into who we are. Let's be who we are and walk in this world as we are the children of light. And may that same Lord, bless you in the listening of this. Bless you that it may unfold in your life and that you shall be who you are, the children of light in the midst of a dark and heavy generation.